two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Keith Stubbs. The name of the podcast is Have You Met dot 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 with Keith Stubbs. And I want to introduce you coming up to comedian Sean Patton. Sean Patton, just to let you know, is a guy that I met a few months ago when he was in Salt Lake City at my place at Wise Guys Comedy Club. And he was here with some great comics including Burt Kreischer, Steve Ranazizi, Ari Shafir, Mark Norman. I mean, and he, he stood out. He was a great storyteller, funny guy, and he's back now. So coming up is my conversation with Sean Patton, high energy, entertaining. He's from the great state of Louisiana, and uh, he's getting ready to record a comedy album. So we talk about that. We talk about comedy, why he does it, does he like it, who inspired him. Have you met, ladies and gentlemen? Sean Patton. Ladies and gentlemen, his name is Sean Patton. Two T's, two vowels. That's a great way to explain that Mm -hmm. or describe that. Mm -hmm. I've never thought to go two T's, two two vowels. That's what we do. You know what's funny is how yesterday I was at a Starbucks here in wonderful Salt Lake City. They asked how to spell my name. E-A-N or A-W-I. I was like E-A-N. And the barista said, I'm just trying to destroy the stereotype that we don't know how to spell names here. And we had a good laugh about that. And then a minute and a half later, when the other barista was calling out my drink order, she's like, Cian, Cian. I was like, that is crazy. Cian? But that has happened more than you'd think. Well, now, what, what, is the, what is the big – I don't understand this. Is there one that people don't prefer? Because I know a couple of Sean's, and I'll go, which one? Is it S-H or S-E? And they go and, – and they have this attitude like, how dare you suggest yeah. it would be S-H or S – either one. <laughs> For me, E-A-N is the, the true, real mm-hmm. – I know not phonetic, but hey, that's the fun of it. The Irish spelling, Sean, right? And then there's S-H-A-W-N and S-H-A-U-N – and version variations of it, which I feel are just like deconstructed salads. It's mm-hmm. unnecessary. You know what I mean? It's a deconstructed pizza. What are you talking about? Just give me the pizza. <laughs> it's Sean S H A U and then another H, which is silent and then N. It's like that's just S E A N. Sean, you just got off stage. You, I you did. rocked it. You killed it. You may go back on stage again. We met briefly a few mm-hmm. months ago, mm-hmm. and I was fascinated by how funny you were. Thank you were you. very funny. You were here with Ari Shafir, Bert. It was a it was an amazing lineup, but I loved your storytelling ability. Thank you. And you're killing it, and you're getting ready to record an album. Is, that an al- is it a special or an album? It's an album with uh, Helium Records, with the, the Helium Comedy Club. They have a 
they have a record label now. And whoa, I'm, whoa, whoa, whoa! They have a record label. It's, it's new, so I'm one of the. So I'm, are they giving you money? I know those guys. Are they giving you money to do this? They're giving me a good deal. Yeah, it's not bad. So is it? Is it? Is it uh, you come there, you record it in their yeah. place, you're performing there all weekend long. It's a great. Is it Philly? No, actually, the way it went was they were like, we we zeroed in on a weekend, and I was like, I want to do it in Philly, and they were like, that weekend's booked, but we can give you. Um, Indianapolis or Rally yeah. on that weekend. And I was like, I, I only want to do it in Philly, though. And they were like, we can give you off nights, which I was like, you know what? I'd rather take the off nights. Right. So I'm doing it Wednesday, uh, which it, it's part of the secret headliner show. Oh, yes. So I'm doing it Wednesday, but it's going to be me secretly headlining, and then we're recording. And then I'm doing it Sunday, which is like advertised as the album recording official. So I'm basically going to record it on Wednesday and then have three days to hear it, listen to it, make any last-minute tweaks, and then recording again on Sunday. I think that's a good way to do that. Now, would you rather do that, or would you rather do two shows just back-to-back the same night? I, don't, I mean, I've never done it this other way before, so I'm about to find out. You know, because back-to-back the same night seems like the more efficient way, mm-hmm. but this is just the way it's happening. So, like, I'm going to do that, and then I'm going to go to Ann. I'm, and basically, I'm doing the, 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 the Wednesday, and then I'm going to Ann Arbor to the showcase on the Friday, Saturday to do four shows and then blasting back to Philly to do oh, it. Oh, that'll be Sunday. nice. You can record it on a Wednesday night. Yeah. And if there's something you don't like, you yeah. can work on it while you're in Ann Arbor. Bop, bop, bop. Yeah. Then come back to Philly and then yeah. knock it out of the park. It's, it's going to be fun. But I was very happy that it lined up following this because there are clubs where there are probably only about 10 clubs in the country, honestly, maybe 15 where I feel like you can truly be yourself as a comedian 100% and, and, and to an audience that appreciates that. I feel like there are a lot of clubs where like the audiences just don't want that. They just they want to be crowd worked. They want to be bachelorette party. They want you to make it about them. Mm-hmm. And so you go there and you be 100% yourself. Sometimes it can be a difficult weekend. But this is one of those clubs where it's like, nope, this is a comedy like savvy crowd. They come to watch the show. They come to listen. They, they'll, they'll, they'll take the journey with you. So I was very happy that this lined up to happen the week before. Well, I don't think it would have happened if you hadn't come a few months ago with Ari. Sure. And I had a sense. chance to see you live. It was yeah. like, oh, my gosh, this guy's phenomenal. Well, thank now, you. Now, what, why Philly? Because you're from New Orleans, right, or Louisiana? I'm from New Orleans. Um, that Philly room is just great. Uh, I also feel like Philly is a good, a really good comedy city. And, I mean, you know, they, the, they came to me with the offer – and it, and they, and that was their one stipulation was like, but can we do it in one of our clubs? I was like, of course, yeah, sure thing. So this was the label deal. This is the label deal. Oh, so yeah, this was. Uh, so it's nice. It's, so are you the first one? Because I haven't heard about this, and I know the owner well. To my knowledge, <laughs> I am. I'm one, or I'm one of the first ones. Uh-huh. I think they're doing a couple in this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, Mark. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's. It's that's the thing. Like he's. I don't do their clubs a lot. Uh, and the ones I had, the times I have done them, I had a great time. So I was surprised as well. So, so where did you did you start doing stand up in New Orleans, or did you move to New York? Or I what? started in New Orleans when there was no real comedy scene at all. Is there a scene there now? There, there's a scene, and it's very good. You got you know two shows a night at bars that are good shows. Right. There's not a club, and I don't, I don't think there'll ever be. If there was ever a club in New Orleans, it would have to be opened by a local, and there would be so many. A, hoops to have to jump through. But also, the mistake everyone who's tried to open a club in that city makes is they try and open it in or near the French Quarter. It's a party. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. But no, you don't want those people. You don't want to perform for a So the, do the locals go to French Quarter? Yeah, sure, sure. But not... But they wouldn't go there for comedy. I think, I think there are certain neighborhoods around the French Quarter they'd go to, but that's the other thing. 
uh, I think it would have to you'd have to open it uptown near the colleges because it is like a massive college city, mm-hmm. and it is also a massive. What I, your average New Orleanian is someone who's like went to Brown, got a degree in you know um, political science. And decided to take a few years off and move to New Orleans and bartend. And now 20 years later, they're still there bartending, just living. It's very European. So you've got – it's a very service industry heavy city. But most of the service industry are very intelligent. I'm not saying there's any – I'm sure there's dumb service industry out there. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. But but like (laughs) in New Orleans, they're all – you're talking to people who all have the gift of gab. And they can chat with you and they can can listen. And and these are the people a comedy club would need to be catering to. Is these people who live in the city, who deal with tourists all day, but now want to like? And there's a there's a they're all over. You just but everyone thinks now the tourists. It's like you don't want to you don't want the tourists. How long you been at it? Eighteen years. Really? Mm-hmm. Now, now, was there a certain point you said I got to get into this, or did you end up in it somehow? No, I started when I was I had dropped out of I dropped out of high school, but that got my GED, and then I took the ACT and scored high enough to get into college, and then I went to college. Where'd for you a, go? But Baton Rouge Community College. Nice. In in which is all, which is where everyone a lot of people say they go to LSU. It's like, yeah, so is Baton Rouge, so that so you didn't go to LSU. It no. was like the uh, feeder school kind yeah, of? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. And I went there, and after a year, dropped out there as well. I just, like, it was one of those things where it was, it'd been brewing inside me for a couple of years, and it was just like, do it, just do it, just do it, just do it. And I moved back home after being a loser in, <laughs> in Baton Rouge for a couple of years, and then just went to an open mic one night. I remember the place. It was called Amber Jack's. It was a seafood restaurant that shut down early, and the bar stayed open, and they set up a little stage in the corner uh-huh. and a microphone, and I went to it first just to watch right? and was like, all right, here we go, and then the next week just did it and never looked back. So you went and watched it one time. Just kind of get, I, I recommend that all the time to people. There are people that go, yeah, I want to go up. I said, have you seen an open mic? No. Yeah. Have you ever seen live stand-up comedy? No. no. I want to go up. It's like, man, I would recommend being a fly on the wall before you jump right oh, into yeah. it. And that's where I started. And like Amber Jacks. Okay. I don't even think it's there anymore. I think this, I think Katrina took it out. But like yeah, man, that was and, and also like I'm glad that I started in a smaller scene, but I wish I would have got out a little bit quicker. How long were you there? I, I started in October of two thousand one. I left in uh February of two thousand six. So you stuck around for six years well, doing like, locally like four pretty and much. A half, five, oh, yeah. four and a half, yeah. five years. Sticking around locally and then you thought maybe if you just busted out maybe a couple years earlier? It was, yeah, because it was a thing back then where like if you were good in New Orleans when I lived there, you got on stage probably six to seven times a month. Oh, wow. Not rarely ever more than once a week. I didn't know that that wasn't enough at the time. You thought that was an ass pretty and, good. And we started doing our own shows and producing our own shows, and it was a very DIY scene. And there was like a year where we were all like, we can do this together, or we could do it here. We could just do it. We don't have to move. We could do it here. And then in 2005, summer, summer of 2005, so probably like a month before Katrina hit, mm-hmm. the Comedians of Comedy Tour. Right, so that was Brian Posehn, Maria Bamford, Patton Oswalt, and Zach Galifianakis. But on this particular run, Maria Bamford was not part of it. It was it was Dave Anthony instead. Okay, great. Right, so they came through town and sold out. They sold out the House of Blues. Me and my like other comedian friends, we couldn't go. But then later that night, one of our other buddies calls us and it's like, "Hey, those guys are at this bar in on Frenchman Street, which Frenchman Street sort of like the locals' version of Bourbon." So we just went to the bar, 
And it was just Galifianakis, Pat Oswalt, Brian Posehn, Dave Anthony, and then me and two of my friends. It was crazy. Galifianakis and Pat Oswalt start talking to us. I remember Pat Oswalt was like suspiciously nice. Like for no, he was just such a cool guy, but he like bought us. He's like, do you guys like scotch? And I remember being like, no. He's like, let me change your mind. And he like bought us rounds of scotch. And then we took them to this late night place to eat. And we just sat there talking about comedy. And they were the ones who basically made me realize, like, I got to go. Specifically, I remember Galifianakis being like, so you live here? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, and you're a comedian. I was like, I am. And he's like, you know you got to get out of here, right? And the way he said it, I thought he meant I had to leave the restaurant now. Right. Because <laughs> you can't hang out with us, comedian who lives here. And I guess I gave him a look that said that because he was like, no, no, no. I, I mean, just out of the city. Right. You got to move if you're going to do comedy. And I was like, oh, really? Yeah. And then that sort of infected my head. And then Katrina hit. And then I spent the next five months just in the city, you know, working for FEMA. You know, gut, So you were gut, there when, when Katrina hit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did yeah. you leave? Uh, we, uh, like, they told everyone to evacuate, we, right? Actually, I evacuated. I probably got out of the city. I got out of the city about three hours before it made landfall. But I only got to Baton Rouge, which is like an hour, an hour northwest. How long did it take to get there? About it, it way faster because all the roads were shut down. So there was no one on the interstate. So I was just like doing. I was driving around barricades. I was doing two like hundred and ten. Had no most people already left? Oh yeah, yeah. They had ordered a mandatory evacuation earlier that day, and then the, they turned the interstates contra flow. You know, right? That, yeah. So so all the freeway went the out, same way. Out only. Get out yeah, of town. You can only go out. But I was, but I was staying, and then I went to this bar on Magazine Street called Balcony Bar, because they were having like a Katrina party. Right. So the idea was we were just all going to go and drink, all, just drink through the storm, and then the National Guardsmen started marching in uh, sheets of plywood to board up the windows, and then they were like, "Yeah, actually, we have to. Cl- we they're they're off. They're now they're now saying it's like an official like." Get off the street. And this was in Baton Rouge? No, this was in New Orleans still, at like 9 p.m. And my dad had called me earlier that day to be like, what are you doing? Get out of the city. We're going to Baton Rouge. My sister lived there at the time. They were like, you you, you have to get out. And I'm like, I'm going to be fine. Storm made landfall. Start, it started. And then we were in Baton Rouge for like a week. And then the, they were saying, oh, the city dodged another bullet. You know, it's, it's down power lines and whatnot, but it's going to be okay. And so me and two of my other friends decided to go to Vail. We were driving to Vail, Colorado to hang out with a guy we knew who lived there. We got to Oklahoma City to spend the night because one of the guy's parents was from there. And as, when we got to his parents' house, they were like, have you been watching the news or listening at all? You haven't. Okay. And it was like, oh, that's pure bedlam. The levees have broke. The city's underwater. Right. So, so, we, so it wasn't really the hurricane that affected It was the after so, effects. Wow. And yeah. you had no idea. So you were just driving. We were just in the, in the car, giggling, <laughs> laughing, being like, oh, man, they always make us leave. And then we stayed in a, Oklahoma City, which is not where you want to spend a week wondering how you're home. You know what I mean? It's yeah. Just, and it's not a bad city. It was just very, like, compared to New Orleans, it doesn't have a lot going on. I, I was in Oklahoma City yeah. when the Oklahoma City bombing happened. Yeah. Wow. I was there. I flew in that morning to headline a comedy club there in Oklahoma City, and that was the day that the bombing of the federal building, and I had to do shows that entire week. Were they good? Did you kill it? No, it was horrible. <laughs> it, was, it was horrible. 
It was sad. It, it was they were still, you know, unearthing the. It, it was it was horrible. They did cancel a couple of shows, but yeah. I actually did shows for people that just wanted to kind of stop watching TV, kind of around the nine eleven type thing. Yeah. But they did, they wanted to wa- stop watching TV entirely, and I was stuck there because my flight didn't go out for another five or six days. And it, yeah, it was it was horrible. Yeah, that's a, that's the thing where you want to turn it against the audience. But guys, you better laugh because otherwise, it means I'm going to bomb as well. <laughs> You guys don't. You had enough bombing for the day, right? Yeah. But you know what? People were okay. That's I, I mean, they were okay, but it, it wasn't great. I'm not going to tell you that it was like, oh, oh sure, yeah. yeah, yeah, I killed. I, no, no, I did. National didn't. tragedy. I, I didn't want to be there either. So you went back to New Orleans then? Went back to Baton Rouge because th- then we went, like, the, you weren't allowed back in the city till it was early October before they started allowing people back in the city. And then we started, like, going back in, got to my apartment, which I hadn't been to at that point, like, six weeks. Um, and it was just, it didn't, it, did, it didn't, I was on the second floor, so there was no flood. The waters didn't get that high, but the, the mold, so we had to just gut everything. And, uh, did my, they gut it or they knocked the building down? No, they gutted it and rebuilt. Uh, my parents' house got enough water to where they, we gutted it. Uh, that took about a month, gutting my parents' house. And then, well, no, it's, no it wasn't a month, it was like two weeks. But it was, it, it was there, it was a, we were working, I mean, I was just... And then I started working for FEMA, just gutting other people's houses and making the pay was good. And it was during those months where I was like, I got to go. But I wanted to make sure like the city was like it was New Year's. Oh, yeah. Also, there was a curfew. You had to be off the street by midnight. No questions asked. I mean, no questions. No, no, you, no exceptions off the street. Because once you got back into the city, there was all these things, reports of looting, rioting. So it was like National Guard, not the NOPD. The National Guard is patrolling the streets. At midnight, if you were on the streets, you were arrested, detained. You're not charged, but you are detained until 6 a.m. That was the rub. And it happened to me twice. Because <laughs> once I thought I could get from a bar. Because the bars in the city still, they'd close. Right. I'm making quotation marks right now. They'd close at midnight, but they'd basically lock people in. Right. And if you were just off the streets, that was the only demand. There was no actual businesses needed to be closed. You just couldn't be on the streets or open uh, to letting people in and out, right? So there were a lot of bars that did, like, lock-ins where they just locked the door at midnight and you just stayed in there drinking. They'd supply food until 6 a.m. Then they can open the doors again. And then let you out. Yeah, but there was one time where I was doing one of those. And I was just too hammered. And it was, like, 2. And I was like, I can get I can get to where I'm staying in time. And nope, they got me, zip-tied me, brought me to the W Hotel, which was serving as, like, a detainment center that's a nice hotel though yeah they just left you in the lobby though <laughs> and you just slept on the floor and they let you go and then one time i was just out on the front porch having a cigarette at my friend's place and they they spotlighted me and they were like hands and I just, hands and then they two of them came up and like come with me you're coming with us i'm like i'm I, i'm staying in this house and they're like they so you couldn't even be outside you couldn't be outside they were their argument was that i was they saw me walk off the porch and that meant that I, I was like, I did, I, I did walk off the porch like a step, and that's also insane. Like I'm clearly staying here. I had no, wow. sh- I had no shoes. They wouldn't even let me go get shoes. They were like, sorry, and I just had to go. So after a few months of that, after working for FEMA, making yeah. some money, you said I'm out. Where'd you? Did you go to New York, L.A.? I went to L.A. first. That, that, just, so you, just so they lifted the the ban. They lifted the curfew on New Year's Eve. So that New Year's Eve was crazy. And then yeah, in February I moved to L.A. first, just because you know I thought I had to. And after like about 10 months in L.A., I went home for the holidays and during the drive home decided like I'd, I want to go to New York instead. I liked L.A., but I just something about New York always seemed appealing to me and I don't know why. And then while I was home for the holidays, a friend of mine who lives up there I was like, hey, it's not a room. It's more of a cubicle, but <laughs> it's $420 a month flat, which is insane. It was in Bushwick. Which that's insane to say now, but mm-hmm. I just... I left my car with my parents. I said, sell it, and they did. 
and I just went went to New York and been there ever since. Is there, who do you like? Who's, who's your? Do you have someone that you go, man? That is my favorite. Like like when you were getting into comedy, was there someone that you saw? You went there. You go. I like this is one of the reasons I want to do this because I think most people have some kind of an inspiration. I mean, my the, my comedic inspiration was the show Mister Show. Okay. Yeah, with the, Bob Bob Odenkirk, Kirk. David Cross. Yeah, like I mean, every Sarah Silverman was on that. Jack Black was on it. Yeah, right. <laughs> a lot of people. Um, that was like that. I I watched that in real time. Like I was in high school, and that was like the first time I felt like that show. I felt actually like connected comedically to. Like it just felt like up until then, everything I'd seen on TV, I never really found that hilarious. So not really stand up then, more sketch. Well, but through them, but through that, I started paying more. Like because I remember like in. 97 or 98 David Cross's HBO special dropped mm-hmm. and I remember like enjoying that and then I started then Sarah Silverman I bought her album and that was hilarious to me so it's sort of like I was as a kid I, I just was never exposed to the right stuff mm-hmm. that's why I think it's important to like share what you actually like with your kids my parents are great people they just didn't steer me in the direction of comedians right you know and like none of my friends at the time like we were all funny for each other we didn't really watch and when I would watch a comedian it would be like you know uh Paula Poundstone or just something like I not nothing against her just didn't I, I was like I'm just this isn't my thing right so it wasn't until I was like 17 where I started actually paying attention actually the first comedy special I ever saw that like roped me into like the idea of doing stand-up is a, is a comedian named Ralph Harris yes I know, you know Ralph who that Harris. is yes yeah, funny yeah now a lot does he do the thing with the glasses he puts on yeah. The, yeah, yeah yeah he's been out there for a long time he had a HBO half hour right and I remember I saw that in real time I was in high school and it blew me away. I thought it was so funny and it was so like, it made me laugh so hard. And through that, I, I just started watching HBO comedy all the time. And then through that, I saw Chris Rock's first special, Bring the Pain, which came out like in 94 maybe. Mm-hmm. And this was in like 96, 97. And that blew my mind. And then from there, I got it. I remember like early Louis C.K. stuff. You know, and then I remember like early Chappelle. Like I remember when Chappelle's first, by the time Chappelle's first Killing Them Softly dropped in like 2000, I was like by then like I loved, I was a huge fan of stand-up and knew that I wanted to start doing it but just didn't know how. And that one was the one that I was like, all right, that's, it's time. So so now you're, you're a whole other level. I got to tell Ralph Harris, by the way, Montreal 2010, he was talking to Bill Burr. They, they apparently know, they obviously know each other. And Bill Burr is, Bill Burr is one of my top three Currently, well, I, I adore Bill Barr, but they were talking, and I go up to say hi to Bill, and I and I, I look over and I realize he's talking to Ralph Harris, and like in the matter of a minute, I just vomited pretty much everything I just said to you. It's like I know this is a lot, man. I just I, I, this is insane, and I just you know I just want you to know that that, that had to yeah. be awesome for him, though. I hope. I mean that spe- that half hour HBO special is one of the I would quote it. I probably still can. I'm sorry. But, like, that was one of the first things I saw that made me... His half hour made me want to do it. And then Chappelle's hour made me believe I can do it. I mean, just because it was so out there. And then Mr. Show with Bob and David made me believe... Because that was my sense of humor. You know, it was everything I saw on that show. And then, like... So it was that, really. I know a lot of people, like, I, I meet comedians who are like, I, mean, I was watching Seinfeld when I was 12, and I'm like, that's awesome. But I was just never steered down. I just... Right. I never... Wa- we never watched... We never watched TV at my house. We watched movies. It's really weird to say that. But, like... My parents weren't TV watchers. They were movie watchers. So you weren't watching sitcoms? No, and we were watching kind of HBO. And since my parents had cable. And since they were paying for cable, that's what was always on. <laughs> so they would just put on HBO or put on Showtime. So, so what do they think about what you're doing now? Because you've been at it 18 years. Yeah. You disappointed them. You left school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, at first, at first, I think like any reasonable parents, they were like, all right, get it out of your system. Right. And then I didn't let them come see me for four years. 
It was full. I like I actively made sure they never knew where the shows were. I was like, and I told them they would ask. I was like, I do not want you to come, and they would get mad at me sometimes. They're like, Are, if why don't you want us to come? I mean, if you're not if you're not showing us what you're doing, it's hard for us to believe you're doing well. But four years in, right be- like right before Katrina again, a lot happened in that summer. Oh mm-hmm. five, they came to a show, and I I still my dad afterwards spoke to me in a tone of voice I had never experienced before, which was equals you know what i'm saying like yeah all my life up in that point he talked to me like a dad and then for the next few minutes like we he bought me a drink and i was 24 years old at this point wait 25 years old and it was just like we're having a drink and he's telling me everything he thought was funny and it was like at the time i couldn't pinpoint it but looking back i was like yeah he was speaking to me like a buddy because he i guess out of relief that it seems that to it be working out good yeah and my mom will come to every show my mom my mom i my dad, some of the things I say on stage, my dad has gotten a little like, whoa, but he still finds funny. My mom loves every ounce of it. She, she's very, they're very supportive now. And they still come see you from time to time every when you time perform I'm, there? Every time I go home. Every time I'm home and I'm doing a show, they're there. I've begged them not to come to some shows where I'm like, I'm trying out, I'm doing like a 20 minute set and like, just don't. And they're like, how are we coming? Will you go up and do 20 minutes of new stuff? Just by bullet point and then kind of just workshop and see what happens? Sometimes. I 20's mean, a lot. I try to always be, I don't know, like, I I think my, my methods work for me. I wouldn't recommend them for anyone, right. for everyone, but, like, I'm I, I, I'm always working on something new. So, like, I, I just always keep something in the, so, like, when I record this album next week, and when that, I, I hopefully it'll drop by, like, November, that's going to be a 50-minute, you know, 45 to 50 minutes that's out there that I'm not going to do on stage anymore. So, when you're done, you're done. I'm done with that. So, as soon as it's released, you'll, you're pretty much not going to do those jokes anymore. No. I mean, to me, it's like that's where they live now. But that, but in the, the meantime, I have been crafting a, a set that now I can turn to and be like, oh, okay, I can still headline with this, mm-hmm. but I'm still going to – I have to work on it more, of course. I, I know some comedians who just like build, 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 record, and then start from scratch. Ooh. Which is insane, but hey, if it works for them, it works for them. For me, it's like I'm building, 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 but the whole time... You're sandbagging some other material. Some other material, just so that it's like, all right, when I record this now, I got this. I can now... I have a foundation. You have something to build on. Because otherwise, on. you're just back to ground zero. I don't know how you... Especially when you're used to laughter, you're oh, yeah. used to some kind of response, and you get booked at things, and there's expectations, yep. right, that you can't yep. go up there and just tank. Yep. So you have stuff kind of yeah yeah I have another hour in the works and I'm, I mean I have a Goodness. whole another hour in the works I mean but that's the thing I just haven't recorded anything and put it out there in a long time like years so I've got like a chunk I've got this album I'm gonna hope like I said hopefully release by November and then a special I'm angling to shoot our honestly early April right but it's an hour of material I've also been working on while working on the, you know this hour that I'm about to record and this other hour I'm developing I've been doing this stuff for years now just rotating between it all and I'm on the road you know 23 24 weeks a year ish you know so like I'm getting the reps in and when I'm home in New York and this is why I love New York I've got nothing against LA it's fine there's some great comedians out there and it's a fun comedy scene but you do not get the amount of stage time in LA that you get in New York Mm -hmm. and you don't you certainly do not get the quality of stage time in LA you're performing for a lot of 
I think sometimes it's sycophants and sometimes it's just other comedians. In New York, you get real legit people. And you can, you know, I get up on stage four times a night and that's low. I know, you know. Four times a night is low? To some people, yeah. Some guys are getting up six times a night. Goodness. You know, I mean, I, for me, four is perfect. I'm getting up and I'm just bap, 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 just banging everything out and I'm doing it. And, you know, I, I, I get up on stage a lot. That's, that's, that, that will always be why I, my argument for New York if you're a comedian. There's 13 comedy clubs in Manhattan alone. Some of them I hate, and I only, I only, I only do three of them. You know, you pick your handful, or right. But I, only, I do the cellar, I do the stand. Those two are inarguably the top two, but they're great, and I'm very fortunate that I get to do them both. And then there's New York Comedy Club, which is great as well. It's up and coming, and it's great. And but there's also all these other clubs that like. You know, Gotham's great. Mm -hmm. I do occasionally, but they don't really do showcase spots there. They do, you know, headliner shows. Caroline's is great, but that's, you know, it's a different circuit or whatever you want to call it. That's a different circle. But, like, you can just go to New York and find the three to five clubs that work for you. And then there's also all the bar shows. There's a lot of amazing weekly bar shows that are amazing that have packed every week and they pay you. And I do, you know... One of, I do at least five. I do those every week. I mean, it's just you can get on stage so much in New York. There's no excuse to not get on stage in New York. And, and, and in L.A., it's just harder. Have you got a name for your album? I'm going to call it Scuttlebutt. Okay. Which is the bit that I open with. But yep. I just love the name. Yeah. Because yeah, it's just, a, it's just such a dumb word. <laughs> <laughs> Scuttlebutt. But I just like it. It jumps out. It's a, it's a track from the album. And it's a true, like, look up Scuttlebutt Slidell. It's the most ridiculous-looking building. It's a hot pink building with a giant blue sign that says Scuttlebutt. It's a, it's a strip club in between two truck stops. I've seen it my entire life uh, uh, every time I go home, and, I've, and I went into it that one time. And to me, it's like one of the most ridiculous nights of my life. But, like, yeah, it's a, I just like the name. But, yeah, it's what I'm going to call it, Scuttlebutt. And, like I said, hopefully... I don't imagine it'll be out any later, but I, I want to drop it early November. His name is Sean Patton. Sean, I want to tell you, thanks for taking the time to do this. Thank, I thank you. Like I'm, I'm here in this club, which is fantastic, which, which goes on my top five list now. And I'm looking at this wall of all these comedians who are all fantastic, mostly. <laughs> and, uh, but all, but seriously, there's some there's some amazing comedians on these walls, and the fact that you still that a you brought me here to perform at this place, but b that you asked me to podcast when you when you're around people like this all the time, I'm honored. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Sean. Have a great show. I'm gonna do it. All right, Let's do it. Yeah.